This episode is brought to you by Audible. Get your free audiobook download at audiblepodcast.com slash best. Now, welcome to the Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Daily Show, La Show, The Young Turks, Rachel Maddow, On the Media, and Countdown. at our national media demonstrate analyzing the affairs on this blue marble we call Earth. We may seek to expose the media's bias, whether it be left or right, but there's one unifying thread that runs through every strata of our media, and that is what gives them a collective erection. President Obama and former Vice President Dick Cheney both set to deliver dueling speeches tomorrow at the same time, both in Washington. The same topic, national security. What gives them a woody? Conflict easily juxtaposed. The President and Dick Cheney's dueling national security speeches. The sniping from both sides has turned personal. They'll go at it on the same day. This high noon duel. Barack Obama, Dick Cheney going at it in the shelter. Will the gloves come up? The strongest man wins. I really hope they're speaking in metaphor because... If they're not, I'm most assuredly putting my money in this fight on the more ambulatory of the two. For God's sakes. Really, they're gonna fight? One of them has a monkey heart. Is there perhaps a more apt metaphor than boxing? It's just gonna be fun, don't you think? <laughs> Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, you know? <laughs> and, 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 and I want to say that I was always on Darth Vader's side. Now you tell us! <laughs> you know, it was one of the main intellectual forces behind the Iraq War, that's kind of a weird thing to admit. <laughs> you might have wanted to mention, oh, quick caveat to my plan on a new American century. I'm on the Darth Vader side! <laughs> Although it does explain why the masthead of the Weekly Standard always struck me as a little odd. <laughs> but nothing could I kid. Nothing could prepare us for the actual showdown. Cheney won the toss, so Obama spoke first. And he opened with some familiar rhetoric. Keep the American people safe. It's the first thing that I think about when I wake up in the morning. I wake up every day thinking about how best to protect America. We can't count on a surrender ceremony. There will be no surrender ceremony. To disrupt, dismantle, and defeat Al-Qaeda. To dismantle, disrupt, and destroy terrorists. To deny the world's most dangerous people. The world's most dangerous men. Access to the world's deadliest weapons. The world's most dangerous weapons. I love it when he does the bush covers. <laughs> Hey, hey, Mr. President, do... <laughs> you see, Obama's... He's got, a, he's got a good trick. The trick is to use cowboy words in a lawyer's voice. For his part, Vice President, old Vice President Cheney, opened with his strength a little light humor. In Manhattan, we were staring at 16 acres of ashes. The threat of catastrophic violence, the Pentagon took a direct hit. Good one, boss. <laughs> Seriously, though, I don't understand. What, 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 I don't know what you're driving at. The morning of 9-11, the evening of 9-11, before 9-11, on 9-11. After 9-11, since 9-11, 9-11, 9-11, 9-11, another 9-11. The point is not to look backward. 
Well, you certainly make a compelling, forward-looking case. <laughs> President Obama? We will be ill-served by some of the fear-mongering that emerges whenever we discuss this issue. Ill-served, sir? At long last, I take offense to that. This country has a long and proud tradition of fear-mongering. I'll have you know that when my great-grandfather first came to this country, he worked as a fear-monger down on the Lower East Side. Seven days a week, sometimes 12, 14 hours a day, all to put food on the table of the underground bunker where he kept his family. But all in all, the speeches were a study in contrasts. I had to strike the right balance between transparency and national security. We need not sacrifice our security for our values nor sacrifice our values for our security. That seems like a lot of work. <laughs> Former Vice President Cheney? In the fight against terrorism, there is no middle ground. You cannot keep just some nuclear-armed terrorist out of the United States. You must keep every nuclear-armed terrorist out of the United States. Oh, snap! <laughs> a bold rebuttal to President Obama's nuclear-armed terrorist quota system. So if there's no middle ground, what are our two choices, sir? You can look at the facts and conclude that the comprehensive strategy has worked. Or you can look at the same set of facts and conclude that 9-11 was a one-off event, coordinated, devastating, but also unique, and not sufficient to justify a sustained wartime effort. Wait, that's our only two choices? Well, what about a sustained wartime effort, but no waterboarding? No middle ground. What about a comprehensive wartime strategy where we just tweak the tribunal systems to bring them more in line with constitutional and national values? No middle ground. <laughs> but there's only been like a 3 to 5% change from your terrifying policies to Obama's, so the choice is apparently either Bush-Cheney were 100% right or hundreds of thousands will die? No middle ground. No! What's the metric you're basing that on? On our watch, they never hit this country again. Wow. Isn't it incredible how success is defined by the one thing you succeeded at? By your metric, Clinton was successful after the 93 World Trade Center bombings. In fact, you could make anything that way. I have a 100% successful marriage in that my philandering was never followed by physical violence. But in the end, Dick Cheney forgot that he himself was doing the one thing terrorists love most. When they see the American government caught up in arguments about interrogations or whether foreign terrorists have constitutional rights, they don't stand back in awe of our legal system. They see weakness and opportunity. But that's what you're doing. You're, they're seeing you do it right. They're, they hate our freedoms and they're, oh, God. They see weakness. Everybody duck. To this world, I am just because I have nothing to give So you call this your free country Tell me why it costs so much to live Tell me why
on the agenda would be what's happening with uh, President Obama. And this answer, of course, is plenty. He's made some controversial decisions this week, or announced some controversial decisions this week. Uh, going back on uh, some campaign rhetoric, he has now decided to keep the military tribunals at uh, Guantanamo, open even as he pledges still to close Guantanamo. That will leave some military commissions looking for new office space somewhere, somewhere outside the continental United States, I would think. A tribunal ship. Yes, he's, uh, after a 120-day moratorium on the commissions, the tribunals, he's, uh, his administration announced this week that they will be reconstituted, just like orange juice. And just about as good as reconstituted orange juice, with all of the nutrients missing. And he also announced this week that the photographs of the uh, more than 2,000 photographs that the Pentagon was being court-ordered to release in response to a Freedom of Information Act suit, the administration is now going to oppose that. They had announced a month ago they were not going to oppose it. It's still going to be up to a judge, so it's just an easy way of... The president saying, it's not, I didn't do it. The judge made me do it. But still, the, uh, the story of the photographs is interesting to me, partly because it re-illustrates again the, um, the nature of the bubble in our nation's capital and associated news capitals such as New York. This weekend, the... Sydney Morning Herald newspaper in Australia published 60 of those photographs, ladies and gentlemen. 60 of the 2,000 that the Pentagon is still holding secret. And still the debate rages in Washington as to whether those photographs should be released. And today, Sunday, on one of the Sunday Yak shows, I think on CNN, Hillary Rosen, a liberal spokesman, said in arguing for the photos to be released. Well, they're going to leak out at some point. Babe, they already have. Of course, she used to be head of the Recording Industry Association of America, whose um, sue our customers policy made the recording industry a shining beacon in the current boom. So the photos are out. Everybody in the rest of the world knows that. Apparently, the people in Washington preparing for their Sunday Yak Show appearances are so busy refining their talking points they can't bother to read the, the papers on on the weekend so if you want to do something that escapes the notice of the yakking class in washington do it on saturday and get it covered in the rest of the world now i don't make it a secret that i love audible.com but even i didn't know how much i loved it until i logged into my account just the other day and found out that my first download was made in May 2005, so just over four years ago. And since then, I've downloaded 75 titles. 
I couldn't believe it. If you had asked me to estimate how many things I'd gotten from Audible, I would have said 25. I'm not kidding. So obviously this place is something I ended up liking even more than I realized I did. They've got 60,000 titles in their library, audiobooks, premium podcasts, newspaper subscriptions, all in audio format ready to be downloaded. So what you do is go to audiblepodcast.com slash best. You got to go to that special URL because that's how they know I sent you and get your free audiobook download and get your addiction started. Again, that's audiblepodcast.com slash best. Liz Cheney, the daughter of Dick Cheney, goes on MSNBC for about 30 minutes in the morning. And I, it was, uh, what do I have to do to get that 30 minutes of my life back? Uh, watching that painful interview with uh, uh, her on Morning Joe. Every single question was a fawning, obsequious, oh, Liz, thank you so much for coming on. You're the best. We appreciate it so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on. God, you're the best. And your dad, oh, what a great American. Oh, he was fantastic the way he tortured people. Was, You know, is underappreciated. It really is. Joe Scarborough is not even on the show. He calls in to gush about how great her and her dad are. Doesn't even ask her questions. For five minutes talks about how absolutely right Dick Cheney is, that torture is the best thing in the world. And then Mike Barnacle is there. He's supposed to provide some sort of balance. No way. His main question that he went back to three times was, shouldn't the White House be paying more attention to your dad? Shouldn't they have him in to have a, a different point of view and listen to his points and, and change their policy? That's the tough, hard-hitting questions you had for Liz Cheney as she defended torture? Wow, great job, great journalism. And, and Mika Brzezinski is supposed to be the, what, the progressive, the moderate, the person on the left, the person in the center? I don't know. Non-existent. Not, I watched for 30 painful minutes. Non-existent. Not one tough question. The only time she spoke was to crawl up Liz Cheney's ass and say, oh my God, you're so awesome for coming on my show. Access, 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 we got access. Who you got access to the ex-vice president's daughter? Who gives a damn? Like you're celebrating that and treating her with softball stuff. Finally, at minute like 26, they began to question Eugene Robinson from the Washington Post was on, and that was supposed to be hard-hitting because he wrote something against uh, editorial against Dick Cheney in, in the, on the Washington Post. So they were supposed to have a conflict. Of course not. They just went on agreeing, oh, you're right. More facts should come out. Oh, the facts are great. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you're right, Liz. No, you're right, Eugene. And it was great. And then finally at the end, uh, there was a little bit of a conflict, and Liz Cheney forced it. Uh, we're going to show you this clip. And uh, unfortunately, look, Eugene Robinson is a good guy, smart guy. Uh, unfortunately, totally blew this one. Total weak-ass answer. Let's watch. Hold on, guys. Sorry. We're going to have to redo that. Uh, it is uh, clip number seven, guys. I should have given you the number. Clip number Your seven. Family member. Okay, wait a second. Let me ask you a question, Eugene. 
So if you knew that Khalid Sheikh Mohammed had information about an imminent threat on the United States, information that would result in the death of your family members, the death of people that you care about and love, and that if he were waterboarded, you would be able to get that information and prevent the attack, you wouldn't do it? You would let him well, go ahead and launch the attack? How would, how would I know you that? You that's if exactly I, if I... the situation these folks were in. No, it wasn't. Well, but, that's uh, the choice but you would... got to make. No, you don't have to make that choice. You don't have to choose to to behave in an illegal manner. You don't have to do that. Well, um, you know, you I, and I, I will really, disagree about I really whether it's legal. What am I going to do with these people? Listen, the proper answer is, hey, Liz, stop being a goofball. The, the reality is not a, a season of 24 with Jack Bauer. You know how long it took uh, to get the permission to waterboard them in the first place? Over three months. So where's the imminent danger? Oh, my God, the bomb is going to blow. Go get permission three months later. Oh, you got it? Great. Now let's waterboard the shit out of him. Okay. Oh, you got nothing on the first one. You got nothing on the 27th one. You got nothing on the 89th one. You got nothing on the 137th one. But you went there 183 times because your dad is either a sick, sadist fuck, okay, or... It's because he didn't want the truth. He didn't give a damn about the truth. What he wanted was Khalid Sheikh Mohammed to say, okay, Dick, you win. I'll pretend that Iraq is connected to al-Qaeda. In fact, an international committee of Red Cross report saying, and this is the Red Cross, the people that we have trusted to be neutral, and they are neutral. Uh, of course, they gave the report to Bush, and he threw it in the garbage and didn't do a damn thing about it. What does it say? Uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed started making things up. He said, of course I started making things up. What the hell was I supposed to do? They wouldn't stop waterboarding me. So uh, he said, uh, the only thing that I was comforted by is that they were going to waste all their time chasing after these nonsense stories I made up. Great job, Dick. And w there is no ticking time bomb that if, or if you don't waterboard them this minute, it's going to blow. And by the way, if there was such a thing, there is a proper answer. The proper answer is, if you chose to do that, which is clearly illegal, you must immediately afterwards resign. Have the courage of your convictions. Say, hey, you know what? I did it for the safety of the American people, but under no circumstances is it legal or is it correct. So I resign my office and, and uh, it should not be done again. It was the one situation where we were positive the bomb was going to go off, right? Except there was no such situation. It's all made up. It's 24 crap. It's television nonsense, and no one bothers to call her out on it. And it, it, it's no one going to mention all of these things. By the way, here's another thing I would have said. Hey, you know what they did in Gambia? And this just happened like a month ago. They rounded up 300 witches, and they waterboarded them, literally, because that's a form of torture, and Pol Pot did it, and, and then we did it during the Spanish Inquisition. Not we, but the world saw it happen. Uh, and the Japanese did it, and we executed it for them. And, and when the, they did it in Gambia, all 300 people that were waterboarded confessed to being witches. All 300. So, hey, Liz, are there witches in Gambia? Oh, no, it turns out that torture is completely and utterly unreliable, and the only people who would do it are sadist people looking to get wrong information, which definitely includes your dad, and it includes you for defending him. Suffice it to say, that is not how it went on MSNBC. All right, you think that's bad? <laughs> Let's go to Fox News Channel, where it only gets worse. 
where Liz Cheney says even more outrageous things. And, of course, the anchor not only allows her to say it, but joins in on the fun. Here's Fox News. I mean, I think we're seeing a situation where this administration, for some reason, uh, continues to release information that's helpful to the terrorists. You know, releasing the details about what was involved in the enhanced interrogation program, releasing the techniques involved in that program, helps the terrorists. It helps them train to those techniques. It takes those techniques completely out of the realm of possibility for future Good. presidents to use. So it was a very damaging thing to do. You know, set aside the fact that they stopped the policy, which, as I said, is their right. But so far, you know, we've seen that release. We've seen the, the concept that they're going to now release pictures that mm -hmm. are going to be harmful to American service members. And, you know, they're talking about now a new release of the Inspector General report. But they seem only to be interested in releasing things that um, really paint America in a negative light and um, don't give the American people a full picture of what went on. I'm curious what, what your dad thinks about the release of these other pictures and what you think about it. Because one of the things that is perhaps most unfortunate is that the, the Abu Ghraib pictures, I think in many ways got grouped together with these interrogation techniques. Right. They were very separate incidences, as you well know, and he well knows. Lie. Uh, you know, one carried out by lower level people who were on a base, and the other uh, done at the highest levels of the CIA. How, how, how much do you think it will stir up when these next set of pictures come out about all of that bad feeling? Well, I think that it is really appalling that the administration is taking this step. I haven't seen the pictures. I don't know what's in them. But clearly, you know, um, what they're doing is releasing images that show American military men and women in a very negative light. And I have heard from families of service members, from families of 9-11 victims, uh, this question about, you know, when did it become so fashionable for us to side really with the terrorists, you know, for us to put information out that hurts American soldiers. And, you know, President Obama uh, has a lot of sort of rhetoric about support for American military families and support for our men and women who are fighting overseas. But, you know, if he really cares about them, then he wouldn't be making such an effort, you know, to release photos that show them in a negative light. When did it become fashionable to help the terrorists? These people are sick, man. They think if you don't torture people that you're helping terrorists. These, didn't all of us grow up in a time when that was the most un-American thing? When America stood for human rights, when we were the shining city on a hill? Now we have these monsters go on television, freely swinging their arms, hey, everybody in polite company, oh really, who would you like to torture? Oh, you think torture is great, and then if you don't do the torture, it helps the terrorists. And get a load of this. Her logic is, if you release what we did, what my father authorized, it will hurt America and American troops. Well, wouldn't it make sense then for him not to have done it in the first place? Isn't the real problem that he authorized those, th those things that are an embarrassment to America and hurt the country and hurt the troops? You think the fact that we're making it uh, available is the problem? Not that you did it in the first place? Can no one call her out on that insane logic? Look, you know, if they just kept it secret and hidden how badly we tortured people, everything would be fine. But now they're going to help the terrorists by pointing out all the evil things that we did. We might have avoided the mess if you hadn't done it in the first place. And the Fox anchor, of course, with a grotesque lie, oh, you know, these pictures are totally unconnected to enhanced interrogation techniques. It was just low-level soldiers, those bad apples, blame the troops uh, that uh, caused the problem in Abu Ghraib and those other pictures.
Well, how come every single report on the matter says that that is not true, including General Major, Major General uh, Taguba's report that said it is absolutely connected, that those were orders from up top, and that is why the torture in Bagram Air Base in Afghanistan, Abu Ghraib in Iraq, and Guantanamo were all so similar because it was the memos written by the Bush administration that filtered down to those troops. They didn't invent it on their own. Those pictures are the direct responsibility of Dick Cheney. But shockingly enough, Fox News, instead of pointing that out, goes out of their way to lie and cover up for Liz and Dick Cheney. Who would have figured? The ocean rolls us away, away, away. The ocean rolls us away. Sixes and sevens, we live on jet planes. So many faces, I don't know the names. So many friends now. We start with a man whose TV ubiquity has moved from interesting, weird fact about his post-official life to potential problem for his political party. I speak, of course, of Richard Bruce Cheney. It was sort of a joke a few weeks ago that Dick Cheney was everywhere, an odd course of action for a former vice president who was as famously taciturn as he was resistant to inquiries from the media while he was in office. But now the punchline just won't stop. After only uh, about a 53-hour break from his last TV appearance, Mr. Cheney took yet another turn before the cameras in the middle of the afternoon on the Fox News Channel. Bottom line is we'd successfully defended the nation for seven and a half years against a follow-on attack to 9-11. That was a remarkable achievement. Nobody would have thought that was possible, but it was. I believe it was possible because of the policies we had in place, which they're now dismantling. And by the policies we had in place, which they are now dismantling, of course, he's talking about enhanced torture. He can't stop himself. He keeps talking about torture. Torture works. Torture keeps us safe. We should keep torturing. Not torturing makes us unsafe. Uh, the issue here is not particularly what former Vice President Cheney is saying in each individual interview, because he's essentially saying the same thing over and over again. The issue is that he's now driving the news cycle. He's everywhere. This started right before he left office in what we all thought was a legacy-crafting series of exit interviews before he was never to be heard from again. And the question of so-called torture, we don't do torture. We never have. Uh, it's not something that uh, this administration subscribes to. Did it produce the desired results? I think it did. I would absolutely do it again, Bob. I think the the loss of life if there had been further mass casualty attacks against the United States over the last seven and a half years fully justifies it. Think of what would happen if there had been an attack and we hadn't taken any of these measures. 
we thought that would be Dick Cheney's parting torture works shot, that that would be the last we heard of him until he came out with his inevitable torture works book or something. But after Inauguration Day, the former vice president found himself able to hold back from speaking on television again for a grand total of only about 14 days. Two weeks after Barack Obama took office, Cheney gave yet another interview, this time to Politico.com, where again, he credited the Bush administration's torture program for keeping the country safe. If it hadn't been for what we did with respect to a terrorist surveillance program or enhanced interrogation techniques for high-value detainees and the Patriot Act and so forth, that we would have been attacked again. And that was the start of Dick Cheney's out-of-office torture works tour, which he has been on relentlessly ever since. I think those uh, programs were absolutely essential to the success we enjoyed of uh, being able to collect the intelligence that led us to defeat all further attempts to launch attacks against the United States since 9-11. Uh, I think that's a great success story. It worked. It's been enormously valuable in terms of saving lives, preventing another mass casualty attack against the United States. It worked. Torture works. After CNN and Fox, last week, Mr. Cheney called into a midday North Dakota radio show. His message there will sound familiar to you by now. What we did in the, in the whole counter-terrorist area was, was extremely effective, and I think Obama needs to be careful because he appears to want to cancel out some of those most important policies. We were able to go nearly eight years without another major attack on the United States. Okay, by this point, the Politico, Fox News, CNN, North Dakota lunchtime radio talking points repetition was having the effect that you might expect it to have on the overall national news cycle. Republicans would probably be happy to see Cheney return to his secure, undisclosed location, but here he is talking about the virtues of torture. Former Vice President Dick Cheney has some choice words for the current administration when it comes to enhanced interrogation techniques. Dick Cheney answers President Obama on waterboarding. Was there another way to get information out of terrorist suspects? When you go on a media tour, it sometimes works to get the media talking about you. This past Sunday, more Dick Cheney on torture. He sat down with Bob Schieffer of the CBS show Face the Nation. I think the charge that somehow there was something wrong done here or that this was torture in violation of U.S. Uh, statutes is just absolutely false. That was this past Sunday. It's absolutely false. And the ensuing news cycle, again, predictably, was, did you hear what Dick Cheney said? In words of warning, former Vice President Dick Cheney says the country is more vulnerable to terror attacks under President Obama. Tonight, Dick Cheney on the attack, the former vice president engaging in an extraordinary public debate with the new White House, which he accuses of endangering America. In a political development that no one could have predicted while he was still vice president, Dick Cheney is now sort of the biggest A-list Republican talking head anywhere in the country. And because the source of his sudden interest in talking to the media appears to be his desire to defend himself on the issue of torture, torture is what America is talking about. Any message the Republican Party might wish to distribute about itself is being overshadowed by what their big kahuna wants to be talking about. Anytime another A-list or B-list Republican speaks these days, the thing they're asked about is torture. 
The Obama administration expressly didn't want to spend all of this time talking about torture, but thanks to Cheney's remarkable media tour, the issue of torture won't get off the agenda. So this was not the game plan for either the Democratic White House or for congressional Republicans, who probably can guess that spending all their time defending torture will not be their way back to the majority in 2010. So weirdly, we're in this remarkable situation in which if there do end up being prosecutions for torture or disbarments or impeachment or even a truth commission, or even if we just keep talking about it every single day, civil libertarians may have to thank Dick Cheney and his compulsion to keep defending himself in public. Joining us now is retired Army Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson. He worked in the Bush White House as former Chief of Staff to Secretary of State Colin Powell. Colonel, Wilk Colonel Wilkerson, it is great to have you back on the show. Thank you. Thanks, Rachel. The last time you were on the show, you said you were not sure if there was enough political will in Washington to pursue accountability on the issue of torture. By speaking out so forcefully and repeatedly on the issue, is Dick Cheney potentially helping to create that political will? I think he may be, which is, of course, I think counter to his purpose. Um, let, I, I was listening to your lead-in. Let me just say two things right off the bat. First, you notice that Dick Cheney always says seven and a half years or almost eight years, no terrorist attack and so forth. That's because he has the honor of being or the dishonor of being the man uh, on whose watch 3,000 Americans died. More Americans died from a terrorist attack under Dick Cheney's uh, leadership, if you will, than any other president in our history. The second thing that I want to say is that the reason we have not had another attack in this country more than any other thing is over 200,000 Americans who have been fighting in Afghanistan and Iraq against al-Qaeda and other associated uh, enemies. And they present not only this skill and talent at doing what they need to do, they also present a target-rich environment for al-Qaeda. So we have had 200,000 Americans overseas presenting al-Qaeda with very, very lucrative targets, and therefore, why would they want to come here? Um, this, is a, this is idiocy of the first order that Dick Cheney is putting out. Given that he was so reluctant to talk to the press while he was vice president, and he was sort of proudly disdainful of public opinion, which I always thought was sort of one of the more interesting things about him, whether or not you think it's admirable, what do you make of his decision just to be talking so much right now? Is, is this an attempt to mount a public defense? Is this about the fear of being prosecuted? He's a fearful man, as I've said before, and that, that, that very well could be the case. I, he looks like uh, Batman with without Bruce Wayne's principles, or maybe more accurately, the Joker with a straight face. I don't know why, though, people give him so much airtime. This is the man who, after all, said we know with absolute certainty Saddam Hussein has weapons of mass destruction. We know he has an active nuclear program. We know he has contacts with al-Qaeda. This is a man who has told more lies from a public pulpit than almost anyone else I know. Why does the media give him so much airtime? I would like to have him on this show because I would like to ask him the questions that I think a prosecutor should ask him personally. So if I could give him airtime, I have to tell you, I would, but he won't say yes to our interview requests yet. Well, I'd love to watch that show. <laughs> so would I. Maybe you could come here and help me out if it was going to happen. Um, do you know anything about, uh, I, I guess the, the next thing that we're, we're due to hear is the CIA Inspector General's report on those the destruction of those interrogation videotapes. Given that that's the next shoe we expect to drop, is there any reason to believe that Dick Cheney might be particularly worried about that next round 
round of discussion and accusation, uh, potential calls for accountability on torture? I think absolutely so, because Dick Cheney was around Richard Nixon when Richard Nixon made the mistake of keeping his tapes and not destroying them. And I have no problem whatsoever understanding and knowing in my own mind that those tapes were destroyed, either with the permission, tacit or otherwise, of the vice president's office or by the direct order of the vice president's office, because those tapes would have been damning. Colonel Wilkerson, um, you're a Republican, um, and I think that the and you're not a politician, but I think the political implications of Cheney being out there uh, so publicly on this issue are pretty obvious. Is there anybody in the Republican Party um, who? might tell him to keep quiet or leave the stage or stop advancing this own agenda that he seems to be pursuing at the expense of the party. Is there anybody who could tell him to keep quiet who he might listen to? I would have expected that uh, George H.W. Bush would have said something uh, in private, certainly. I don't know that uh, former Vice President Cheney would listen at this point, though. His attack on Colin Powell was something that stunned me. Uh, I didn't think that he would go that far. Uh, he's destroying what's left of the Republican Party. I think the latest polls show we're down to 21 percent of Americans identifying as Republicans. I suspect that if Cheney continues, it'd be down in the low teens. He's destroying the party. Uh, there needs to be someone with some, uh, as we say in the, in, in the Army, uh, some uh, intestinal fortitude, some guts, who steps forward and tells this man to go home and shut up. On that point of uh, his recent comments attacking Colin Powell, he said on CBS on Sunday he would rather have Rush Limbaugh in the Republican Party than Colin Powell. I know you don't still work with General Powell, but uh, it, beyond being shocked, do you think that there's any appropriate response? Do you think he should be asked for an apology? Two tours in Vietnam, 35-plus years service to his country, five deferments for Dick Cheney, never served a day in the military, said he had other priorities. I don't even think there's a comparison. But my brain knows better. It picks you up and turns you around, turns you around, turns you around, if you feel discouraged. Michelle, muesli looks good. Mm -hmm. Made it myself. Well, you know, they'll do anything around here to make you happy, honey. Mm -hmm. Except learn how to make muesli. <laughs> well, be a little understanding. They, they have spent eight years of breakfast making omelet fritters. Well, I'm just trying to make a decision here. 
Hmm. The sleepless or the three-quarter sleepless? <laughs> you know, I did get a higher score in my LSATs than a certain first black president I could mention. But look here, I'm trying to decide whether or not to accept this TV offer. Hmm. So they want you to take Miss California's crown away from her? They want me to appear as me on a Family Guy special. Oh, that's that uh, cartoon show. Mm -hmm. It's an hour-long special. The Family Guy goes to Bangkok. Mm, well, I'd lean on the side of, I'll think about it. But, you know, honey, that's what we've got advisors for. Daddy, d did you just turn into, like, George Bush? <laughs> Oh, hey, Malia, somebody somebody got up on the wrong side of 10 years old this morning. Dad, I'm serious. Everybody at school is saying you bit that big weenie, whatever that means. Well, now, Malia, baby, whatever it means, you pay no attention to what everybody at school says. You're the president's daughter, and you're just like everybody else. Mom, they're saying Daddy did a 180. Is that like a dating-type thing? <laughs> it's not physically possible, honey. Now, look, darling, I know that what your friends at school say can hurt sometimes. So let's try to help Mommy for a moment. Do we think she should go on Family Guy as herself? Daddy, if you really went back on your campaign rhetoric, she'll be lucky to be invited on American Dad. <laughs> look, sweetie, you're right. Daddy did say something different during the campaign about military commissions. And Daddy did say we'd release those torture photos be before we decided to not release them. Barack, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> Malia, have you learned in school what the word pragmatism means? Yeah. Good. It means fighting the big weenie. <laughs> Bo! Bo! Bo, get back in here! Hi, Uncle Ron. Hi, Malia. Bo! Oh, that's okay. He can come in. <laughs> You won't say that when you see what he did in there. Rami, hmm? did Bo poop in the Jefferson study? Well, let's just say Jefferson won't be studying in there today. <laughs> Bad dog. Bad doggy. Now, Malia, what do you think we should do with such a bad dog? Punish him. Mm-hmm. Should we read him as Miranda rights? <laughs> no. Should we release photographs of Michelle bopping him on the nose? Don't you dare say yes, young lady. <laughs> no. Well, should we water hose him? Maybe. He doesn't like that. Well, that could remind him that we don't like this. Ooh. Oh, it's just a little bow poop. <laughs> but maybe my little girl has learned something about doggies, and detainees. Hmm. Things look different once you're in the White House, don't they, Daddy? Huh. They sure do, darling. They sure do. Well, Michelle, honey, you look like you just got a, a brainstorm. I sure did. Oh. I decided to hold out for a regular episode of Family Guy. <laughs> <laughs> Rami? Yes, sir. You know, if you got to be surrounded by girls, make sure you're surrounded by... Smart one. Yes, sir.
You're not going to want to miss what we have available at the brand new Best of the Left store. You can get all of our great designs, including some cool retro ones that no one's ever seen before, on all kinds of great Cafe Press apparel and other fun items they have available. If you prefer a Cafe Press alternative, we got you covered. Check out everything we have available at our Print Fection store. Aside from all that fun stuff, we've got something really useful for you. We just started a brand new podcast by mail service. So say you know someone, maybe even yourself, who loves the show or would love it, but they're just not tech savvy enough to do the whole podcasting thing. They couldn't download it every week, not going to listen online. Give them a podcast by mail subscription and they'll have the CDs of every edition sent right to their house every week. All this now available at the new store at bestoftheleft.com. This week, the Battle of the Speeches. Two men, one the President of the United States and the other the former Vice President, right now are preparing to deliver dueling speeches on how to deal with terrorists. The showdown over national security. President Obama and former Vice President Dick Cheney going toe-to-toe in back-to-back speeches. The major newspapers framed it the same way, and for 24 hours there was absolute media consensus. Back-to-back policy speeches by the president and the former vice president constituted a clash of titans. But did they really? Dick Cheney has been waging a month-long media campaign to defend Bush administration interrogation abuses and to portray Obama as soft on terrorism. His principal argument? Waterboarding saved American lives. Never mind the facts or legality or morality or even logic, systematic war crimes could save American lives too. The question is, have the media erred and even influenced the political dynamic by portraying an immensely unpopular ex-VP as equal and opposite to the President of the United States? Simply put, has the press invented a drama where none really exists? We put this question to Mark Jerkowitz of the Project for Excellence in Journalism, who explained that the media just love the reductionism of a head-to-head clash, but that, he says, doesn't mean the conflict is contrived or unimportant. One of the things that the media claimed in the run-up to the Iraq war was that their failure to more closely scrutinize the rationale for going to war, weapons of mass destruction, part of that could be attributable to the fact that there weren't very many Democrats articulating an opposition that they could report about to Bush's war plans. Now, you could argue in those days that the Democrats didn't have much more power than the Republicans have right now. But clearly, the media would have glommed on to some major Democratic spokespeople had they arisen to challenge the policy. So it's hard to calculate how much influence could Cheney have on policy. Is he getting overcovered at this moment? That's quite possible. Is it likely that the President of the United States is going to be able to maintain control of this narrative in the long run? Absolutely. Do the media tend to get a little overexcited when they can simply find an opposition leader with some credibility uh, who emerges, probably at this point. But I don't think that's a, an issue that, frankly, is going to last all that far into the future. Let me tell you something we discussed in our meeting. I'm curious to know what your reaction is to it. It was my suggestion that one of the reasons that the coverage has been the way it is is that the press as an institution is simply just kind of uh, wide-eyed about 
Cheney's tour of news shows. I mean, I certainly don't remember an ex-vice president, certainly one who left an office in such low esteem, going on the offensive like this, certainly not in my lifetime. Is it unprecedented? There are two man-bites-dog elements to that story. One is it does seem unusual, and that's been an element of coverage, to see somebody from a previous administration so aggressively go after his successor after such a short period of time. And obviously, that's in stark contrast, for example, to President Bush, who has opted for silence, and that's traditionally the way it's worked. Number two is there was a mythology that grew around Cheney when he was vice president of the man who operated in the shadows, who gave largely gave interviews to the Fox News Channel when he wanted to go public. The power behind the throne. Exactly. And now suddenly he's Oprah Winfrey. You know, he's <laughs> all over television, and certainly that seems out of character, and that is part of what's fueling it. One final question. The president scheduled his Thursday speech after Dick Cheney scheduled his before the American Enterprise Institute. Is the White House reacting to Dick Cheney, or is it, you know, coincidence? Well, you know, you'd have to talk to their strategist. It would seem to be hard to believe that's a coincidence. I think they've noticed how much attention Cheney's gotten. Part of it is also driven by the fact that the president, and even his allies will say this, needs to do some explaining of his own policy. This has not been a seamless couple of weeks for him when it comes to national security issues. He reversed himself on the release of the photos. He was handed, at least temporarily, a legislative defeat on the closing of Guantanamo Base by his own party in the Senate. So he is finding that the execution of this policy is no mean feat. One of the things that's fascinating, and, and to show you, you know, how easily it is to translate the story into a political battle, and, and why it is that the media loves the red corner and the blue corner, I saw on, on you know, the Politico.com website today, their instant poll was, which speech on national security are you going to watch? When you can boil a, a very dicey and nuanced and complex national security issue down to who you're going to watch on television, you've got a story that the media can run with. All right, Mark. As always, thank you very much. Thank you. Mark Jerkowitz is an associate director of the Pew Research Center's Project for Excellence in Journalism. Giant against giant in a duel to the death. To see it all in Godzilla versus Megalon. This week, we saw another blow to transparency. On Tuesday, a federal appellate court issued a ruling saying that the White House Office of Administration does not have to turn over documents explaining how millions of Bush administration emails went missing and what archiving systems have been put in place to prevent this from happening again. The ruling by three judges appointed by Republican presidents argued that the Office of Administration is not a White House agency and therefore not bound by transparency rules for the White House. The losers in the case were the Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, who originally filed the FOIA request in 2007 asking for the documents. Their chief counsel, Anne Weissman, joins me now. Anne, welcome to On the Media. Thank you. Now, this Office of Administration is part of the White House, but the court has ruled that, for the purposes of FOIA anyway, it is not part of the executive branch, and I'm not sure how those two things can be true simultaneously. 
it's a little hyper-technical. Let me try to explain it. Within the executive office of the president, there are multiple different components. Some of those are agencies like the Office of Management and Budget, the Council on Environmental Quality. And what that means is that they have to comply with the Freedom of Information Act. Other components of the executive office of the president are recognized to not be agencies. They're all under this umbrella organization, the executive office of the president, but some are subject to transparency laws and some are not. Now, that makes perfect sense, but the twist in all of this is that before this ruling, the Office of Administration had in the past frequently responded to FOIA requests and even had a policy for handling FOIA requests. Well, yes, the Office of Administration was created by President Carter in the 1970s, and from its outset, it was considered to be an agency. It wasn't until the Bush administration and our FOIA request, they had it in hand, they'd agreed to process it, and then at the point where they were going to have to tell us what documents they had and whether or not they were going to produce them, they suddenly declared that they are not an agency. So this was a very radical shift, and again, the the import of the shift was that all of these documents documents are not publicly available anymore. Okay, so we know that the Bush administration was a kind of eight-year ongoing stonewall, but now comes the Obama administration. Surely the transparency president will undo this problem and reopen the Office of Administration to FOIA requests and give the public access to the explanation for the missing emails, right? Well, I wish I could share your certainty, but I think the record so far is far too unclear to be certain one way or the other what he's going to do. My organization, along with 36 other organizations, sent a letter to the White House counsel saying, you've embraced and endorsed transparency. It has to begin at home. Make the records of the Office of Administration publicly available, just like every president except for President George Bush has done. And we haven't heard yet. But you may have some inkling based on a separate lawsuit that your organization has filed concerning the Bush administration emails. Well, yes. After we filed this FOIA request, we filed a separate lawsuit claiming that the White House was violating their legal obligations because they knew that millions of email were missing. They failed to take any action to restore those records, and they failed to have in place an effective record-keeping system that would prevent this from happening again. On President Obama's first full day in office, their White House filed a motion in that case asking that the lawsuit be dismissed. And the grounds they gave was that they had done a limited project to restore a very limited number of the missing email, and they shouldn't have to do anything more. Needless to say, this was a very disappointing action on their part. But I would point out there's another lawsuit, a lawsuit from the Bush era, that I think also sends a very troubling message. And that's our quest to get the visitor records that the Secret Service creates when people go to the White House. The Bush administration, for the first time, took the view that those were presidential records, which meant they were not subject to the Freedom of Information Act. We won that battle in the court. It's back in court. Last week, they filed a brief in the Court of Appeals 
that makes it clear that the Obama administration is continuing the argument that these records are not agency records and are not available to the public. When we put all this together, we see a very troubling and inconsistent pattern, and we're just not sure what it means. Now, we've been having conversations like this on this show for going on four months now, as various guests have been flummoxed by uh, the administration's position on the state secret privilege and now these email cases. What's your best guess as to what's going on? President Obama and his administration have a large number of very pressing issues to deal with. And I think that my organization and others would be willing to give them some time to sort this out, except for one thing. President Obama kind of picked the timing by declaring on January 21st through various memoranda that he came out with that he was committed to transparency and accountability and that these were very important goals in his administration. Not to mention his campaigning on that very issue. Exactly. I mean, I don't pretend to really know the answer. I remain hopeful that when they are forced to focus on these issues, that they will come out on the side of transparency. But I raise the Secret Service example because that's one where I'm especially troubled because when they were ordered by the court to file a brief, then they were forced to evaluate the situation and decide, you know, are we going to continue to say that the public doesn't have a right to know who visits the White House or are we going to embrace transparency? And so far what they've elected to do is embrace the same policies of the Bush White House, the anti-transparency policies. Give you clip number three from Obama, more uh, lovely language. We are indeed at war with Al-Qaeda and its affiliates. We do need to update our institutions to deal with this threat. But we must do so with an abiding confidence in the rule of law and due process, in checks and balances and accountability. Yeah, please. For reasons that I will explain, the decisions that were made over the last eight years established an ad hoc legal approach for fighting terrorism that was neither effective nor sustainable, a framework that failed to rely on our legal traditions and time-tested institutions, and that failed to use our values as a compass. That's why I took several steps upon taking office to better protect the American people. First, I banned the use of so-called enhanced interrogation techniques by the United States of America. I know some have argued 
that brutal methods like waterboarding were necessary to keep us safe. I could not disagree more. As Commander-in-Chief, I see the intelligence. I bear the responsibility for keeping this country safe. And I categorically reject the assertion that these are the most effective means of interrogation. What's more, they undermine the rule of law. They alienate us in the world. They serve as a recruitment tool for terrorists and increase the will of our enemies to fight us while decreasing the will of others to work with America. They risk the lives of our troops by making it less likely that others will surrender to them in battle and more likely that Americans will be mistreated if they are captured. In short, they did not advance our war and counterterrorism efforts. They undermined them, and that is why I ended them once and for all. Totally wrong. I mean, I wish he meant that, and I think the words were great, but he did not ban them once and for all. If they were actually illegal and people were punished for those crimes, then people would know, hey, it's not a good idea to do it in the future. Now, since Obama refuses to give that accountability that he mentioned in that clip, the very next time another president is chosen, he can easily go back to doing torture and waterboarding. And, and in doing so, Obama, unwittingly, or perhaps wittingly, I don't know, has undermined the rule of law. Because it's one thing for somebody to rob a bank, but it's another thing for the prosecutor to say, I'm not going to prosecute them. I think that might be even more damaging, to be honest with you. So uh, it is. It's a it's a general breakdown in law and order. Yes, but it's one that we're hey, look. If we're going to really talk about law and order of the country, you have to talk about the drug war. You have to talk about total disregard for the laws, rules, and regulations of the country because they don't fit what the population is actually doing. It goes with the violence. Goes with, I think everything should be legal. I think everything should be prosecuted. That comes down to like stealing things. Because I think every crime is kind of theft, whether it's rape, murder, whatever. You're taking something that doesn't belong to you. Yeah, you know, that gets into the broader discussion of, uh, you know, that you said what, what should be illegal, and that is something that causes harm to others. And when you use that standard, uh, you know, pot use does not fall into it. Torturing others definitely falls into that standard. I mean, Jake, you have millions of people in this country in jail for pot and you've got a guy up there on a stage bragging about torturing people and then you've got a president saying there's not going to be any torture under my administration and people are going to be brought to justice without meaning it at all save some face you know you've only got one change your ways while you're young Sunsets on the east side 
Tonight, as promised, a special comment about Mr. Cheney's speech. Neurotic, paranoid, false to fact and false to reason, forever self-rationalizing, his inner rage at his own impotence and failure dripping from every word, and as irrational, as separated from the real world, as dishonest, as insane as any terrorist, the former vice president has today humiliated himself beyond redemption. The delusional claims he has made this day could be proved by documentation and first-hand testimony to be the literal and absolute truth, and still he himself would be wrong because the America he sought to impose upon the world and upon its own citizens, the dark, hateful place of Dick Cheney's own soul, the place he to this hour defends and to this day prefers, is a repudiation of all that our ancestors, all that for which our brave troops of 200 years ago and two minutes ago have sacrificed and fought. I do have to congratulate you, sir. No man living or dead could have passed the buck more often than you did in 35 minutes this morning. It's not your fault that we waterboarded people, you said. It isn't torture, you said, even though it is based on 111 years of American military prosecutions. It was in the Constitution that you could do it, even if our laws told you you could not. It was in the language of the 2001 military authorization. You force-fed the Congress that you could do it, even if our international treaties told you you could not. It produced valuable information. Information, you said, even though the first-hand witnesses, the interrogators of these beasts, they said the information preceded the torture and ended when it began. It was authorized, you said, by careful legal opinion, even though the legal opinions were dictated by you and your cronies, and oh, by the way, the torture began before the legal opinions were even written. It was authorized, you said, and you imply that even if it really wasn't, it was done only to detainees of the highest intelligence value. It was more necessary, you said, because of the revelation of another program by the real villains of our time, the New York Times, even though that revelation was possible because the program was detailed on the front page of the website of a Defense Department subcontractor. It was all the fault of your predecessors, you said, who tried to treat terror as a law enforcement problem before you came to office and rode to the rescue after you totally ignored terrorism for the first 20% of your first term, and the worst attack on this nation in its history unfolded on your watch. 9-11 caused everyone to take a serious second look at threats that had been gathering for a while, you said today, and enemies whose plans were getting bolder and more sophisticated. Gee, thanks for being motivated by the deaths of nearly 3,000 Americans to go so far as to take a serious second look. And thank you, sir, for admitting, obviously inadvertently, that you did not take a serious first look in the seven months and 23 days between your inauguration and 9-11. For that attack, sir, you are culpable, morally, ethically. At best, you were guilty of malfeasance and eternally lasting stupidity. At worst, sir, in the deaths of 9-11, you are negligent. The circular logic and the self-righteous sophistry falls from a copy of Mr. Cheney's speech like bugs from a book on a moldy shelf. He still believes in dictators like Saddam Hussein with known ties to Mideast terrorists. He still assumes everyone we captured is guilty without charge or trial, but that to prosecute lawbreaking by government officials is, quote, to have an incoming administration criminalize the policy decisions of its predecessors. 
and most sleazy of all. While calling the CIA's torturers honorable, he insists the grunts at Abu Ghraib were a few sadistic prison guards who abused inmates in violation of American law, military regulations, and simple decency. Even though, and maybe he does not know we know this, even though there is documentary proof now that those guards were acting on the orders originating in the office of Secretary of Defense Rumsfeld. It is, in short, madness. Madness, sir. Mr. Cheney, your speech was almost entirely about you. There are only five or six other people even mentioned, and only two quoted at any length. And why would you have quoted, as you did, the man who said this? I know that this program saved lives. I know we've disrupted plots. I know this program alone is worth more than the FBI, the Central Intelligence Agency, and the National Security Agency put together have been able to tell us. As you know, sir, you are quoting former CIA Director George Tenet. That would be the George Tenet who told Congress on February 11, 2003, quote, Iraq is harboring senior members of a terrorist network led by Abu Musab al-Zarqawi, a close associate of al-Qaeda. Mr. Tenet, sir, then went into elaborate detail about the Iraq-al-Qaeda connection. None of it was true. This is your source, as he was your boss's source. George, how confident are you, President Bush asked Tenet about Saddam Hussein's weapons of mass destruction just before the Iraq war, according to Bob Woodward's book, Plan of Attack. Don't worry, Tenet answered. It's a slam dunk. That is your independent authority on how well torture worked. Next time you see him, Mr. Cheney, you might as well ask Mr. Tenet if he thinks he is Napoleon. I don't want to know who you think you are. Those are the basic facts on enhanced interrogations, you concluded. And to call this a program of torture is to libel the dedicated professionals who saved American lives and to cast terrorists and murderers as innocent victims. You saved no one, sir. If the classified documents you seek released really did detail plots other than those manufactured by drowning men in order to get it to stop, or if they truly did note plans beyond the laughable ones you and President Bush have already revealed, hijackers without passports targeting a building whose name Mr. Bush could not remember, clowns who thought they could destroy airports by dropping matches in fuel pipelines 30 miles away, men who plan to attack a military base dressed as pizza delivery boys, forgetting that every man there was armed, and today the four would-be synagogue bombers, one of whom turns out to keep bottles of urine in his apartment and is on schizophrenia medicine. If those documents contained anything of value, he would have leaked them already, as you leaked those revenge fantasies of the library tower and the JFK bomber and the Fort Dix Six. When they, terrorists, see the American government caught up in arguments about interrogations or whether foreign terrorists have constitutional rights, they don't stand back in awe of our legal system and wonder whether they had misjudged us all along, you said. Instead, the terrorists see just what they were hoping for, our unity gone, our resolve shaken, our leaders distracted. In short, they see weakness and opportunity. The weakness the terrorists see, sir, is the weakness of blind rage replacing essential cold logic. The weakness the terrorists see, sir, is the weakness of judgment suspended in favor of self-fulfilling prophecy. The weakness the terrorists see, sir, is the weakness of moral force supplanted by violence and revenge fantasies. The weakness the terrorists see, sir, is the weakness of Dick Cheney. And yet still, ceaselessly, indefatigably, you moralize and lie to us. I might add, someone said today, that people who consistently distort the truth in this way are in no position to lecture anyone about values. Very apt. The quote, of course, is from your speech. 
Your speech, which was at essence about your fantasy that you and Mr. Bush were not negligent, about your pig-headed certainty that first these attacks were impossible, then they were a good excuse for a war you had already planned in Iraq, and finally that they were to be imminently repeated and only you knew whence the next threat would come. You saved no one, Mr. Cheney. All you did was help kill Americans. You were negligent before 9-11. Your response to your complicity by omission on 9-11 was panic and shame and insanity and lying this country into a war that did nothing but kill 4,299 uh, more of us. We will take no further instruction from you, sir. And let me again quote Oliver Cromwell to you, Mr. Cheney. You have sat too long for any good you have been doing lately. Depart, I say, and let us have done with you. In the name of God, go. Thanks for listening, everybody. Now, first of all, holy crap, did you just hear me say what I think you think you heard me say? Well, it doesn't matter whether you heard me say it or not. The truth is, the Best of the Left podcast now has a store in classic Best of the Left fashion. We are years behind the curve on this. We have finally opened not only a cafe press store, complete with all kinds of great merchandise, uh, with our designs, uh, including, as I mentioned, a very cool um, retro design that was made years ago, literally. I mean, it's like it's based on our old logo that doesn't exist anymore. Go check that out for sure. It has never seen the light of day, shamefully. But now you can get it on a t-shirt and uh, show it the light of day. And then for anyone who's interested in non-Cafe Press material, because some of you are, we also have a print fiction store. It's just a Cafe Press alternative, basically. They, uh, Cafe Press came up with the, uh, the print-to-order idea, and these guys took that idea and ran with it. So we also have a great uh, selection there. And then, of course, I just want to reiterate, I'm really excited about this podcast-by-mail idea. Um, you know, just like I'm going to say about 90% of the good ideas we've had here, we've, we've straight-up stolen them outright stolen them from This American Life. And uh, and so this is what I did with this. I, I basically went to the This American Life uh, store on their website, uh, took all of their good ideas and stole them. And they are the ones who I saw doing the uh, radio by mail subscription. And I thought, I'll do that. So again, you know, anyone, maybe it would just be more convenient for you. Most likely you're, you know, listening because you downloaded the show or, or streamed it online or something like that. So likely, someone you know would love this show, and you just can't get them to download it, you can't get them to stream it online, maybe you've burned them a disc or two, um, but it's, it's not going to last. They're, they like it, but they just, they're not going to become subscribers, it's just a flat fact. Take my parents, for example. So, people like that in your lives, they need to be able to listen to the Best of the Left podcast, and this is your chance to give them that gift. Get them a subscription to Podcast by Mail, and I will just burn them a disc myself. It'll look very nice, have a nice little cover on it, tell them what episode it is and when it was published and so on. Every single week, I'll just ship those out, and they will get their news and politics horribly skewed with a liberal bent and uh, be better off for it. In addition, I just want to go through these things quickly. 
Podcast Alley. We are doing Podcast Alley. We're taking it by storm. Um, I'm sticking to it. We're going to mention it every month. It's going to go out on email reminders. We are going to own Podcast Alley. The good news right now, I haven't even mentioned it on the show yet this month, and we're already at number like 13 or so, almost in the top 10 where we'll get posted on the homepage. Come on, guys. Chip in a little bit. Get us in the top 10. Get us to top 5, top 3, whatever. Let's do it. And, you know, I keep telling you guys to sign up for the newsletter. If you just want to be a Podcast Alley ass kicker and you don't want any other emails from us, you can now sign up for, for our email system and just be reminded every month to, to vote at Podcast Alley. I also just wanted to mention again that you can now receive our show on Stitcher.com. That is a service where you can listen to all of the, the best news and talk radio personally tailored to your tastes. You pick all your favorite shows and they get automatically updated with all the newest episodes. No syncing of iPods or phones or anything like that. Listen online. Listen on your smartphone directly uh, through the internet. It's awesome. We're listed there. Go check it out and uh, make us a favorite of yours. And then finally, memberships. Best of luck memberships are... uh, going fast there's an unlimited number of them so uh, you can go to the website and sign up for that knowing full well that there will be a stock available all you do is sign up to donate a minimum of five dollars a month it's going to make a gigantic difference in my ability to continue doing this show if you missed the announcement i uh, basically lost half my job so i'm attempting with all of my heart and soul to make this show into a part-time job at least and that is a way you can very cheaply you know you're not going to miss five dollars a month but if all of you sign up as members i'm going to feel that love in a big big way and it's going to you know keep me fed and clothed with my new best of the left apparel and with a roof over my head and you know let's get real posting two shows a week that's that's what we all want to have happen if I have to get myself another job, I'm going to have to cut it back down to one show a week. So that's it for today. Clip sources and music links can be found in the show notes of the blog. And coming to you from inside the Beltway and border, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you from bestoftheleft.com. Fine, fine, black and white. Burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to meet A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor Take you out in the open door This is not my